Thank you, Pastor Paul. I get to see him during the week, so that's my, my gift, my, my blessing. If you would, in your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 6, I'll put the words up, but it will be helpful if you have your Bibles open to Galatians 6, uh, 6 through 10, because we're going to be looking at several passages, uh, several phrases in this text. Paul is talking to us. He has has laid out the gospel of grace. He has laid out his arguments about why the law cannot produce righteousness in our lives, but why the Spirit of God actually has that ability. Now he has shifted to what it looks like for faith to work itself out in love, which he says that's what matters. Faith and a live, living faith which he says in Galatians 6 is that new creation within us from the Holy Spirit expresses itself. It works out in love to our neighbors and to our community. He says this in chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is giving expression. He's showing us what life in the Spirit is like. It looks like this individually as we walk in the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, and this is what it looks like in the community, in the church specifically, but in the communities in which we live. And I I mean our family as a community, all these little microcosms of community uh, that we live in, our work community. So last week we looked uh, at chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, as Paul talks about bearing one another's burdens, as he talks about how grace frees us to come alongside each other, to support and encourage each other, as we look not to compete or compare ourselves with others because we're not in competition, we're not on a performance or in a performance culture, we're in a completed culture, a culture of the completed work of Jesus Christ of the finished work of Christ. He talks about how humility plays a part in that. And then this week, Galatians 6, verse 6, he's going to talk about how that looks in the community as we share each other's burdens and as we sow in the kingdom. So let's read this text together. This is Galatians 6, 6 through, it should should be 10. Let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think the lesson that I'm going to try and bring out today, I think the text brings out, is that embracing the gospel of grace, which is what Paul has been talking about in this letter, Embracing the idea that salvation is a gift 
by grace through faith in Christ. Embracing that will result in a harvest of righteousness. Again, I think this is one of his biggest themes through chapter 5 and chapter 6. If you have life in the Spirit, this will be the outcome. And as you walk in the Spirit, which the Spirit has very capable means to get you to walk in the Spirit, to get you to keep in step with the Spirit, but as you walk in the Spirit, this righteousness that, that is being demanded of you will actually be produced. And the people demanding it will see it produced in a way that they didn't expect. Everyone thinks, well, you put the law on God's people and you tell them to obey and you manipulate them into obedience and you fear them into obedience and you talk to them about judgment, you talk to them about exclusion, about excommunication, you you scare them or pressure them or manipulate them into obedience and you'll turn out obedient people. There's a lot of parenting books out there like that. That's parenting like that doesn't work either. That's you know, military style parenting. You might produce disciplined children, but you won't produce godly children. You won't produce children that love Jesus. You might produce children who are scared to death of you, but you will not produce children who love God. And so as we embrace the gospel, this harvest that we actually want to see. God, through His Spirit, can actually produce and actually will. So let's look at the text. Let me try and, and, and present it, not in order, but in thought. I think Paul's main point is embrace the pure gospel of grace. Look at, look at the uh, second verse, verse 7. This is his warning, but it's a challenge. It's sort of his last opportunity to say, embrace the gospel. Do not be deceived. Well, there's two ideas here. Number one, there were people who were actually trying to deceive them. There were people in the church, teachers in the Galatian churches, that were actually distorting the gospel, putting spin on it, saying it was something that it isn't. He addressed that in chapter 1. He condemned them all in the firmest language. False teachers were the one group of people Paul, well, one of two groups of people Paul was not patient with. Don't be deceived. But there's another deception, and that's self-deception. And he's been addressing that in the text. That's why humility is such an important part of growth and grace. So don't be deceived. Hey, pay attention. There's a trap here. There's deception here. What is it? God cannot be mocked. Now the word mocked here is this idea of turning up your nose at something. If you have children, you've seen this. You can give your children spaghetti. They love spaghetti. Why do children love spaghetti? You give them spaghetti, a little beet ball, maybe a little meat, sprinkle some some, uh, mozzarella on top or some parmesan, and my kids eat it up. Then I give them baked ziti which is the same thing. And what do they do? I don't like that. Like, how can you not like it? It's the same thing. I don't like that. Well, take a bite. Let's see if you like it. You might really enjoy it. I don't like that. You know, you're trying to feed them, and they're, they're pulling magic tricks in this chair to avoid the spoon. 
to avoid the fork. That's turning your nose up. You can't turn your nose up at God. I mean, you can, but at the end of the day, you can't. So don't take what God has presented to you in the gospel of grace and say, I don't like that. That's the heart of his challenge here. Receive, embrace the gospel of grace. Don't move toward the thing that you so naturally want to move toward. It's so ingrained in who we are that somehow I want to be my own savior. I want to earn God's favor. I think I can obey if I try really hard and that will make me a good person. Don't do that. Don't be deceived. You cannot turn your nose up at God. He's offered you the gospel of grace. If you reject it, you do so to the damnation of your own soul. If you receive it, you have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't turn away from the gospel of grace. That's the challenge. But there's more to the gospel of grace than just our individual salvation. And it's hidden in the text, but it's, it's in the plural you. And sometimes our English translations don't translate you well. It should be you all, y'all. Um, but it's translated you in the, in the singular, um, even though it's in the plural in the original. And this is, this is kind of throughout the text this communal nature, the, the last paragraph was very much about community life, so is this one. Look how the text starts. Uh, verse 6, let the one who is taught in the word share good things. All y'all who are being taught the word should all y'all be sharing with those who are teaching you. Um, that's not the only indication. Uh, look at, at how he talks about doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Uh, this, you see the word good in both verses, verse 9 and verse 6. This is a major theme for him. We want to be doing good, blessing others. So let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you'll reap. So then as you have opportunity, do good to everyone. So the gospel, as we embrace it, it comes with community. It comes with something that Christ has established, his church, the gospel comes to us and it brings us into community because that's what travels with it. We can't miss that. Paul is, is not pushing them away from community. There were people who were trying to steal them from the community. Come to our community. And Paul says, no, don't do that. Don't be deceived. Don't turn your nose up at God. Receive the gospel of grace and live within the community of faith. As challenging as that might be, as you bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. So he's calling them to embrace the gospel. He's calling them to live in the very gospel community that they were, that they were being pulled away from by these false teachers. And he challenges them in that community to live in a reality. Now this, this is one of those texts that I grew up hearing a distortion of. Two dogs are fighting in your heart, Tim. Which one will you feed? Um, 
there's a, there's a part of that that's true, but there's a lot more to that that's not true. The emphasis of the, the, the war within is not on me. It's on the Spirit. It's on the working of the Spirit of God in my heart. But there is a reality that Paul reminds them of. You can't turn your nose up at God. There's a reality. It's His reality. It's how you were made. It's how His creation was made. It's how life works. It works this way because of the master craftsman. And you cannot avoid this. It's called the law of returns. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he reap. Now think about that verse for a second. Number one, whatever you sow, you will reap. Whatever you sow. The reality is, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Very simple farming illustration. Most of us aren't farmers. Okay? So try and, try and you know, grasp that. You put corn in the ground, you're going to get corn. You put carrots in the ground, you're going to get carrots. Whatever you sow, that's what it's going to produce. But there's another lesson. You will reap. Now that's a warning, but it's also a promise, and I think the text will bring that out. So whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap, and you will reap something. You will reap. There's no avoiding reaping. The third lesson is you don't get to choose when you reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You will reap. And you don't get to decide when the reaping comes. Now this passage used to scare me to death because I have done a lot of sowing to my flesh, especially in my youth. Paul is encouraging us here, though. He's telling us about something, and then he's going he's to bring us into a promise of God's grace in the nature and the power of the Spirit. But he warns us. The warning of this law, of this reality of how God made the world and how God made you ontologically as who you are as a creation of His is that you always sow what you reap and you don't get to decide when you reap it. I think it's dangerous, by the way, to be specific in this text, to say if you sow this, you're going to reap this. Um, If you sow this fruit or if you sow this work of the flesh this is what you're going to reap i think this is bigger than that i think that's why paul says if you sow to the flesh he doesn't say if you sow specific in this specific area and i think that's important for us to hold but he tells us about the nature and the power of the flesh if you sow to it and the idea here is giving into it the idea here is allowing its satisfaction This is what James says. How are we tempted? We're tempted by our own desires. And so giving in a temptation is that satisfying those sinful desires that we have. It's it's instead of repenting of those desires, saying, wow, I can't believe I want that. I can't believe that that lured me, that that entices me. Instead of repenting of it, we, we play with it. We in, uh, you know, allow it in our minds. We allow it to bloom and to grow until we finally give into it. And then James says that sin brings forth death. It's the same thing Paul says here. Don't be deceived. 
If you give in to the desires of the flesh, there will produce corruption. From the flesh, this is what you will reap. Corruption. And the ESV is a good translation here. Because corruption, decay, is the idea. As you give in to those desires, as I give in to those desires, it produces a corruption, a a, uh, fracture in the moral fabric of who we are as people. I like one of Keller's uh, illustrations. He says, if you sow envy and jealousy, it will reap, I'm sorry, it breaks the fabric of contentment and creates the destruction of bitterness. Let me say it again. If you sow envy and jealousy, it breaks the fabric of contentment and creates the destruction of bitterness. I think another one for us is self-pity. We live in a victim culture. If you sow self-pity, you will reap deeper and deeper loss, victimhood, and depression. Greater and greater discontent. If we as a community sow our success, our progress, if that is where we give ourselves to, and we, we salve our conscience with our achievements, it will grow greater and greater destruction because that's what pride leads, leads to. The independence, the self-satisfaction, the self-dependence that pride breeds. Paul has an end times thought here. If you notice that, the word corruption also means death or destruction. He said this in chapter 5 when he talked about the works of the flesh. He said in verse 21, And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So his big appeal here is embrace the gospel. Embrace what God has done for you through Jesus. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna give in to the system of doctrine that says your salvation is dependent on your obedience, your work, if you're gonna rely on your flesh to earn your place with God, then you're rejecting the very gospel that would save you, and you are condemning yourself. You are bringing yourself into the very condemnation of God. But he doesn't end there. He talks about the power of the Spirit. Same truth applies. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And notice again, there's that eschatological element. It's not just good life. Jesus said, I've come, John 10.10, I've come so that you can have an abundant life, so that life can be full for you. And for a person who's living in the gospel, who's freed from the competitiveness of our culture and of our hearts, from the the uh, performance culture that we, that we tend to live in and we tend to create, for a person who is living in the joy of forgiveness and good, the goodness of God, for a person who knows that they've been adopted and brought into God's family and is rejoicing in that, life can be full. They can see the gifts of God all around them, even in the hardest of circumstances. They see what they have, not as things to hoard, but as things to bless others with. And the joy of blessing others fills their hearts. As was prayed earlier by by Pastor Paul, they have spiritual children. And they may not have physical children, but they can look back at the people they've they've discipled and the people they've poured into and the people that they have given themselves to and rejoice in the work of grace through them. 
But it's bigger than that. It's eternal life. And that's why, that's why Paul is saying embrace the gospel. Because in that is eternal life. And it is the power of the Spirit to bring the fullness of all the benefits of Christ into your life. And so he urges us to sow to the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to invest our time, our energy in the means of grace, the place where the Spirit meets us with the tangibles, with prayer, with the sacraments, with the Word of God. And He ministers His grace to us in those intersections. How do we do that? Patiently, persistently, we love out our faith. This has been his emphasis. This is the emphasis of our series. What is faith? What matters? What counts? It's faith. Our conviction, our belief about Jesus, our resting in the gospel that expresses itself in love. Here's a reality. Whatever you believe, whatever you truly cling to, is being expressed. It is working itself out. That's the law. That's the law of returns. Whatever you cherish, whatever you value, whatever you hold on to is expressing itself. But faith in Christ actually expresses itself in love. And so love out your faith. Read with me again in our text. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There's so much in this. Let me just highlight some things. First of all, Paul is not equating Christianity with good works. Kindness to others. We cannot make the move that liberal Christianity has made and make service to others the essence of Christianity. It isn't. Paul never diminishes the call to obedience. He never diminishes the requirement of holiness. He never diminishes the importance of the law, though he declares it powerless to affect change or to transform. He is not eliminating the requirement of obedience. He's giving us a different path. He is not diminishing the content of our faith as though the content of our faith doesn't matter. No, the content and the call of what we believe and the Bible teaches is critical. The difference is a person who has embraced the gospel of grace will actually love others. And love gives what is discerned to be the genuine need in the moment. Love is not a wishy-washy, I don't care what you've done or who you are. You're just fine. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter. This table tells us that our sin mattered. So Paul is not making a liberal left turn. My hands are... He's not. He is not diminishing that at all. He is saying that genuine love a love that is willing to give itself away to sacrifice for God and others, to live a life of diminishing returns, what it looks like, because I'm making all these investments and I'm not reaping 
because we don't get to decide when we reap. He's saying that type of life is only produced by grace. That type of life is the fruit of a genuine faith. And this is exactly what James says in chapter 2. When he says devils believe, demons believe and tremble, but you don't see their hearts change. You don't see them going outside of themselves. Folks, when you're in a performance culture, guess where the emphasis is? It's not on others. It's on ourselves. We might step into the lives of others and help them, but only from a, only from a distance, only from a do-gooder standpoint. Look how I've helped you. Look how I've ministered to you. But genuine faith produces a sacrificial neediness that goes and sees and meets the needs of others. The Spirit who gives us life leads us not inward but outward, freed from the performance culture, filled with the joy of grace. We love others rather than competing or separating based on our own sense of self-righteousness. He's not creating, Paul is not creating a new performance culture based on justice and equality. He is in fact confronting the very division within the Galatian church. That we're creating a distinction between righteous and unrighteous, the clean and the unclean. So he says, do good. This is just the broadest terms of of giving your life away, blessing others, doing for them in the moment what they need. And they might need admonition in the moment. They might need you to speak the truth and love to them in the moment. But you love them, so you're willing to put it on the line for them. Doing good is the fruit of the Spirit. It's that communal love, joy, peace that affects the entire body, the entire community. Paul says to do it to everyone. This is a critical word. If there's any word in that verse that you should highlight, it's the word everyone because that's the emphasis. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Why is that important? Because Peter stopped. In chapter 2, Peter withdrew from the Gentiles. He stopped doing good to everyone. He only did good to the Jews. This is how Paul can say it's not barbarian or Scythian, Jew nor Gentile, male nor females, uh, rich, poor for for the Corinthians. We don't get to choose who we do good to. We do good to the people that God gives us opportunity to do good to. And that's why he says that. Look, as we have opportunity, the people that God has placed in your life, no matter what sins they're struggling with or indulging in, how unclean you might view them. We approach them as needy people who have received grace and are here now to minister grace. And then he says, especially to the body, especially to those within the household of faith, to the family, our high responsibility to each other, he draws attention to. This is what the gospel of grace does, though. It brings us into community to love and build up and serve And what does he promise? Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He calls us to persistence. 
We are such a results-oriented culture, are we not? Jim Gaffigan has this funny bit. He talks about how he goes to McDonald's all the time, and he orders a burger, and there it is. And then he goes into a fancy restaurant, and he says, I'd like a burger. Where is it? Because he's gotten so accustomed to the nowness of life. And I know people who have quit pursuing the Spirit and, and meeting God at the intersection of His means of grace because it just, they just they stopped, they, they never saw change in their life. They never saw what they so desired for. Well, you don't get to reap when you sow. Be persistent. Keep at it. He promises that you will reap if you sow to the Spirit. Growing in grace doesn't always yield the immediate results that we want. But it will yield. And the promise is that we will reap. That's why he tells them to enable faithful ministers of the gospel. Because the people who were in their life were the false teachers. And he said, one of your greatest antidotes is to find faithful people who are ministering the gospel and support them, help them in their ministry. Keller says of this that all Christians should have been taught in the word by somebody. And it's our duty to share with them. And the word there is fellowship because it's not payment for their work. It's a, it's a sharing in the, in the body of those who would minister to us. And so for the Galatians, what did they need? They needed to attach themselves to the people who were teaching the pure doctrine of grace. They needed to attach themselves to the people who were holding up the goodness and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. They needed to create that culture and appoint people who would help maintain and create that culture. That's where our elders come in. That's where our elders come in. They create and maintain the culture of grace at East Cobb. And we should bless them for that. The writer of Hebrews says, don't, don't make them weary in their work. Encourage them in the work. Encourage them in the work. Champion them in the work. Because it's hard work to maintain a culture of grace. Champion them in that. Champion Jordan in his youth ministry. Folks, he faces such challenges with teenagers. Champion him. Encourage him. Thank him. Pray for him. Pray for Pastor Paul. He's trying to do it in two churches. Pray for him. Encourage him. Pray for me. Keller says we should not be consumers who come to church and plunder its benefits without doing significant giving to the body. Encourage the place that is declaring the gospel of grace for your own soul, for your children's care, for the truth to be proclaimed and for the culture to be maintained so that the world can be transformed by people who are living out, who are loving out their faith. Some applications. Check your expression. I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. 
faith, whatever's at the root of you, whatever you, your convictions are, will always express themselves. They will always manifest themselves. You cannot hide it. And so the question becomes, what expression do you see? Do you see love for others? Can you spot the needs in your neighbor, in your spouse, in your children, in the people living next door? Can you see their needs? And are you moved to get involved as you have opportunity? See, this is what Paul, this, this is Paul's point. Love, genuine love, is the fruit of faith. So if you don't see genuine love, do a heart check. Maybe you've gone back to the distorted gospel, not the gospel of grace. How are you sowing to the Spirit? Think about that. How, what are you doing to sow in the Spirit? Have you quit? Maybe you were in a discipleship group, maybe a journey group or something else, and it was really feeding your soul, but things got busy, and so you pulled back and said, I just can't do that right now. Or maybe you were in a life group, and you were being ministered to personally, and you said, I don't need that right now. I'm going to pull out. i got too much to do. Maybe it was your own Bible reading, your own scripture memory, your own prayer time. Maybe it was just church attendance. You don't realize how these things are feeding your soul. How are you sowing to the Spirit? How are you investing in walking in the Spirit? I'll let the Holy Spirit guide you there. He's, there's been conviction in my own heart as I've asked myself that question. Everyone means everyone. We're going to do a series over the holidays called Whiter Than Snow. We're going to talk about what it means to be the church the clean in a world of unclean, or if that's even true. But everyone means everyone. And uh, we, we need to consider as a church how we're meeting, how we're reaching in the lives of the people around us, no matter who they are, no matter what sins they struggle with. And then follow Jesus. Think about what Paul is describing here, this kind of person who just lives this loving, gracious life. Jesus is the pinnacle of that. Whether you think about his, the sacrifices he makes for people, whether you think about the things he does to heal people, whether you think about his work on the cross, whether you think even about how he responds to temptation, his faith is expressing itself constantly in love. I, I think one illustration that really is been ministering to me this week, as I've been reading a specific book, is uh, Matthew 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Think about Jesus compared to Peter in Galatians. If tax collectors and sinners had come to Peter, he would have withdrawn. Jesus is sitting there and they're flocking to him and it just seems natural to him. It just seems right. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What the Pharisees didn't realize is they were sick. 
and they needed a physician. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's, that's at the heart of the gospel of grace. Sinners ministering to sinners. God help us to live and embrace the gospel, to embrace the gospel of grace so that we can produce a harvest of righteousness for our King. Let me pray for us. Father.